I hope that the last few weeks have been really helpful for you. I've been very encouraged about the positive feedback that I've got from lots of people about the ways in which we've been challenged as we've worked our way through this series, that as we've talked about the themes of unpacking God's faithfulness and recognising how amazing it is that God stays with us, with the sailors, with the Ninevites, and especially with Jonah, as we've taken the time to be able to recognise that we can be real and honest and vulnerable before God, um, but that as we do that, that helps to shape our perspectives. And most of all, as we've unpacked what it looks like to pursue obedience and to see the amazing things that God can do, I hope that that's been a really helpful time for you, but also a challenging time for you as well. Today, we wrap things up with chapter four. And uh, if you remember where we did leave things at the end of last week, this amazing set of circumstances that unfolded, that the whole city of Nineveh had chosen that they were going to start living the way that God wanted them to live, to turn their backs on their violent, awful ways, and uh, instead to be able to really focus on being God-centered people, which is really, really astounding. And we talked about that. Imagine being in a city where everyone makes a decision to say, yep, it's time to put aside my way of living and to live the way that God wants. You would think that at this point, Jonah would just be blown away and so, so grateful that he's been able to be a part of that. You think about the journey that he's been on, all the stuff that he's been through, and he ends up seeing this amazing miracle happen. You would think that he would be beside himself and so grateful that he was able to be a part of it, so amazed at the work that God can do. But no. That's not at all what we see as we begin chapter 4. Verses 1 to 3, we read that this change of plans in terms of God not wiping out the Ninevites greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. So just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Talk about getting up on the wrong side of the bed. Man, oh man, what is going on with Jonah for him to have this kind of reaction? And listen again to some of the things that we hear that Jonah is saying here. I knew that this is what you'd do. Why did you have to involve me in your plans? This is why I wanted to go to Tarshish. I just wanted to live a nice, comfortable life because I know that you're quite capable of changing people's lives all on your own and you didn't need to bother me and include me in all of that and make me look foolish because I said that people were going to get destroyed and now they're not. But listen even more to some of the things that Jonah says about God. You're caring. You're loving, you're patient, you're forgiving. I know that you're someone who doesn't want to cause harm to other people. Seriously, God, why don't you just kill me now instead of making me look silly or instead of making me have to deal with the reality that I was right all along and I've just been completely inconvenienced. It's a staggering perspective that Jonah's got here. Instead of celebrating that he was a part of these amazing things that God had done and that he'd been a part of helping to see a whole city transformed and people's lives radically tipped upside down, all he can think about is how it's inconvenienced him and how this might all reflect on him. And this was reflected in a couple of questions that people had sent in when we did our reading plan a few weeks ago. 
Someone said, wouldn't you think Jonah would be happy that he played a role in the people of Nineveh repenting and seeing firsthand God's love and mercy? Uh Uh-huh, that's exactly right. But also we had another question. Did Jonah think that it would reflect badly on him if God didn't do what Jonah had announced would happen? Was his pride hurt or was he bitter because uh, because it wouldn't happen after all that he had been through to get there? I think that's a really great question to say, was Jonah just upset about the fact that this might look bad for him, that he said, all of you are going to be destroyed, even though he did say, if you don't turn. So this is going to make me look bad, God, so I can't believe you're not going to destroy all these people. Or was it this reality that he felt like he'd just been incredibly inconvenienced all the way through? Why did you need to bug me and involve me in all of this, God? Like it all turned out for the best anyway. So why did I need to get involved in it? It could also have been about Jonah's desire for justice. Again, his perception of what the Assyrian people were like, all of the things that these people had done as Israel's greatest enemy, to be able to say, God, are you just going to let them all off the hook? Like that doesn't seem very fair. And it's a great challenge about our standard of justice and the way that we perceive things being made right and what God's standard of justice is often like. And in particular, the importance of thinking through the difference between forgiveness and the consequences of people's choices and their actions. For the Ninevites to think through the reality that God wanted to forgive them. God wanted to get himself back into a right relationship with them. But he recognized that they did have to change in order for that to happen. It wasn't just that, oh, well, never mind. It's all fine. Let's just move on. They went through this deep time of grieving, of recognising all that they'd done, of choosing to say we know that we haven't lived how we should and we need to turn things around. But where are we challenged about what that looks like? Who do we struggle to, to forgive or to believe that God wants to forgive? Maybe people who've done really awful things to other people, someone who's murdered someone else. Do we believe that they deserve forgiveness? from God or from other people? What about someone who does damage to someone else, including abuse, emotional damage? Maybe that's happened to us. We've been damaged by other people. Do we believe that those people deserve forgiveness from God or from us? Perhaps it's whole people groups that we might struggle with, the same as Jonah did. Whole groups of people who might have done awful things in the past. Do we believe that God wants to forgive those people? That God wants to see transformation happen in those people's lives? And if we do believe that, is that something that we're excited about? Are we happy about the sense that God might offer forgiveness, that people's lives can be changed and turned around? Or is there a sense where we feel like people need to pay for what they've done if they've done damage to other people? It's a challenging thing for us to think through and we can kind of understand why Jonah might have had a little bit of a hard time with it. Well, how do you think that God would have, what we've expected God to do, uh, to react to the way that Jonah is acting in this? I probably would have expected God to say, Jonah, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, what is going on with you? But in verse four, God asks this really, really profound question. Is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry about this? 
It's really amazing. God doesn't in any way chew Jonah out, rip him to shreds and say, I can't believe the way that you're behaving. Even after all that Jonah's done, even after all that Jonah has said, but he simply asks him to consider the ways in which he's responding and to say, do you think that's the best? Do you think that's appropriate? And this is another really great question for us to wrestle with, especially when we have emotional reactions to things, when we get angry about things, when we get upset about things, when we feel impatient about situations. It's a really great question for us to stop and say, is it right that I'm feeling this way? And is it right that I'm acting this way? Is that really the correct response, the appropriate response to what's going on in this situation? Well, Jonah doesn't actually answer God's question at this point, but instead he sets out uh, to a faraway part of the city, kind of like where we were last week. He finds a spot looking out over the whole city and he sits himself down to see how things are going to play out. And we can kind of understand in this that Jonah's expectation or his hope is still that God's going to wipe him out, that somehow, I don't know, a big tidal wave is going to come or fire is going to come down from heaven and these people are going to be destroyed. We can kind of sense that Jonah's sitting there with some popcorn, hoping that that's the way that things are going to work out. He builds himself a little shelter, and uh, this could have been a shelter that was just made out of some sticks, or it could have been a shelter that had some sticks and then a canvas roof. But either way, it would have been ridiculously hot. This is the Middle East, after all, so he's in the middle of the desert. And so regardless of whether it's just sticks or canvas, still would have been pretty hot in the middle of the day. And so God provides for Jonah yet again. God grows this plant up to create shade for Jonah so that he can experience some easing of the discomfort that he's experiencing in the heat while he waits to see what's going to unfold. Jonah feels better about this, he's really happy, now I feel good again, everything's great, he climbs back up on the roller coaster. But then overnight, God sends a worm, or different people think it might have been a swarm of caterpillars, but whatever it was, something to be able to destroy the plant. And so when Jonah wakes up in the morning, the plant is gone. And this is one of those really, really hot days, like we have in the middle of the, of summer. You know, when you wake up and it's already 35 degrees, it's going to be 43 once the sun starts to kick in, and there's a blisteringly hot northerly wind that's blowing. That's what Jonah wakes up to, just this sense of complete discomfort and heat once again. And so the roller coaster goes back down, he hits rock bottom again, and he says, death is better than this. I would rather die than put up with how hot I'm feeling right now. And so once again, we're challenged by Jonah's selfishness. God, I can't believe that you're making me suffer like this. I can't believe that you want me to sit here and be this hot. There's no recognition that he's made the choice to sit where he is. He just is upset about the fact that he's stuck out here in the blistering hot and that God doesn't care about him at all. And yet at the same time, why is he sitting there? Because he's waiting for God to bring the heat down against the Ninevites. His hope is that God's going to come and wipe them all out. So it's just this bizarre thought pattern that Jonah's got where he's saying to himself, make me feel comfortable, make me feel shaded, make me feel cool while you go and destroy all of those people down there. 
Well, once again, God asked Jonah a similar question that he's already asked. In verse 9, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Again, Jonah tries, uh, God tries to get Jonah to do some self-reflection to get him to realize what he's really saying and what's going on here. But Jonah is not in a headspace to be able to do that at all. He lashes out again and he says, yes, of course it's right for me to be angry. Of course it's right for me to be ticked off. Here I am baking in the sun and you don't even care. I'm angry enough that I might as well die. And this time God does challenge Jonah in a fairly significant way in terms of his perspective. In verse 10, we read that the Lord said to Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God says to Jonah, you're so upset and angry about this plant that you had nothing to do with that came up quickly and died quickly. And yet you don't care in the slightest about all of these people that are in this city that you're looking out over. I care about those people. Do you? Now, last week we mentioned that there's some question about exactly how many people were in Nineveh. We've got 120,000 as the figure here. But there's an interpretation where we've got 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Uh, Other translations say 120,000 people who couldn't tell their right from their left. Um, The default understanding of what the original language was saying there is actually 120,000 people who weren't at an age to be able to understand properly. And so there's lots of commentators who would believe that this 120,000 was just 120,000 kids which meant that there could have been up to 600,000 people living in this city. When we think about the size of the city, that probably makes more sense. But regardless of whether it's 120,000 or 600,000, this is what Jonah is confronted with. Do you really not care about the thousands, the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people that are down there? You really want all of them to die just so that you don't look bad? or just so that you don't have to change your perspectives. And this is where our narrative wraps up. Jonah kind of left to work through these things. God's saying to Jonah, do you see people and circumstances the way that I see them, or just the way that you see them? Are you so wrapped up in wanting to be comfortable that you're not willing to see the amazing work that I want to do. We're left with a little bit of a cliffhanger ending there because we don't know in any way how Jonah responds to that. We don't know whether he does have a wake-up call and says, yes, I choose to embrace this or whether he stays in his little tantrum ways or whether he just wanders off and uh, is never heard of again. We don't know what happens. And uh, we talked about really great movies at the beginning of this series and this is a little bit of tapping into that. But just like great movies like Inception where you're left with this cliffhanger ending where you don't exactly know what's happened... That's what we're left with here. We don't know what Jonah does, but that's very intentionally done. Because as we also talked about at the start of the series, the whole point of this book is to hold a mirror up to us to say, how do you see God? How do you see the way that God interacts with other people? How do you see other people? 
What are your perspectives? And for the Israelites, who this was originally written for, it would have really confronted them about their perspectives about God, their perspective about whether God forgives, about whether God wants people to come into a relationship with him, even if they're the greatest enemy of Israel. Challenge the Israelite people about the ways that they perceive the people around them. And that's where we're left as well, with those same questions. To say, as we've held a mirror up to ourselves over this last month, what have we learned? How have we responded? What are the things that God's trying to teach us about himself, about other people, about ourselves, about our perspectives, about our perceptions? What are the things that God wants to change in us? And so that's where we're going to finish our time today, is with an opportunity to be able to do some reflecting on that. And so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to be able to do some journaling around that. And so hopefully you have a pen and a piece of paper or your journal with you that you can write some things down. And these two questions are going to end up on the screen when we get to our reflecting time. But these are the two key areas that I'd love us to reflect on as we think about what God has been saying to us through this last month. To really say, God, where have you challenged me? What are the things that I've learned? What are the things that I really want to take away as we wrap up this series. The first question is, am I self-centered or am I others-centered? Pretty challenging question, really, to say, if I'm honest with myself, is my default focus on me and what's happening for me, or is my default focus on what's happening for other people? Throughout this book, we've been challenged about the selfishness of Jonah, that he's so wrapped up in himself so often that he doesn't realize the implications of the choices that he's making on other people or the ways in which his perspectives are shaping his reactions to things. He's so wrapped up in himself that he can't see those things. And so where am I focused just on the things that are happening to me at the expense of thinking about what might be happening for other people around me? Where am I so wrapped up in whether I feel comfortable that I forget to worry and think about what might be happening for other people who might be in far more discomfort than I am? Where am I losing sight of the impact of my choices on other people, that the decisions that I make do have an impact on the people that are around me? Where do I focus so much on myself that I forget to think about those things? And in particular, as we think about areas like suffering, We can often think that we're in a really difficult time and sometimes we are, especially physically. We might be going through a really difficult, challenging time. But at other times when we think that we're suffering, when life's not fair, when things are so hard, when we feel uncomfortable, it's good for us to stop and think about other people and to think about the suffering that other people are experiencing in other parts of the world. People who have so much less than what we do. We're so privileged here in Australia. There are so many people who don't have the basics that we have. And so what suffering looks like, is that something where I'm self-centered or others-centered? As I think about persecution, particularly in terms of following Jesus, that sometimes we might feel like it's hard to follow Jesus in our culture or that there are people who want to bring us down because we're following Jesus or because we're a part of the church. When I compare the persecution that we experience here to what other people around the world experience, people who literally have to make a life and death decision about whether they want to follow Jesus. Am I self-centred or am I others-centred? 
So you might want to take some time to reflect on that part of it. But the second question is then to say, am I self-centered or am I Jesus-centered? Throughout this book, we have taken the time to reflect on what God's perspective is and how much God wanted Jonah to have his perspective shaped by God. For us as people who follow Jesus, we want to allow ourselves to be shaped by him as well. And so what are the things that Jesus is asking me to see differently? What are the things where Jesus is saying, put down your way of looking at the world, your way of looking at other people and see them through the loving eyes that I've got? Where is Jesus passionate about seeing people's lives changed and transformed? Even people who may have done really negative things in their pasts. How does Jesus want me to be able to be a part of that transformation? Where does Jesus want me to be in a place of forgiving others? Where are the opportunities where Jesus is inviting me to partner with him in the work that he's doing around me? What does it look like for me to be obedient to the places that Jesus wants me to go, to the people that Jesus wants me to engage with? So those are the two big questions. How much am I being self-centered rather than others-centered? And how much am I being self-centered rather than Jesus-centered? Take some time to write some things down. I want to encourage you to be really honest with yourself and to say, as we finish this series up, what are some things that I want to take into the weeks and months ahead that help me to turn my focus to other people and to turn my focus to Jesus? If you're with other people and you want to take some time to share, you can, um, but at a minimum, my encouragement would be just to take some time to journal some things down and maybe even some things that you want to think more about as we head into this week. So take some time to do that and then we'll come back and we'll wrap things up.
So once again, I hope that this has been a really helpful time for you. I hope that as we've made our way through the last four weeks and then as we've made our way through today, that you can sense some things that God is saying really clearly to you, some places where God is meeting where you where you're at and encouraging you to continue to take steps forward in your walk with Jesus. I'm going to take some time to be able to pray that we would not lose sight of the things that God's got for us, but that as we head into the rest of this week and as we move on from this series, that we continue to be challenged and reminded about the ways in which God wants us to see people the way that he does and to see the world the way that he does. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much for this book and this amazing story. We thank you for the privilege that it is for us to hold a mirror up to ourselves through the life of Jonah and to be able to think through the ways in which we see you, the ways in which we see the world, the ways in which we see other people and the ways in which we are living our lives. Thank you for the things that we've learned. Thank you for the things that we've discovered throughout this series. And my prayer is that as we now wrap things up, that you would help us not to let those things go, that the key things that you have brought up in our lives, the key things that we have discovered, that we'd be able to take those things with us as we move into the rest of this week and beyond. That in particular, you would help to continue to change our perspectives. We know that in the West in particular, our default setting is to focus on what's in it for me, to focus on what comfort looks like for us. And we're sorry that so often that's the opposite of what you have for us, that you want us to be people who look at other people and understand what's happening for them, that you want us to be people who see other people the way that you do, and that you want us to be people who are obedient even when it makes us feel uncomfortable. So as we head into this week, help us to be aware of those opportunities that you give us, some of which are not massive big things, but just little daily promptings that you give us to be able to be nudged out of our comfort zone, to be able to be nudged out of our self-centeredness and instead to be able to focus on the people that you want us to be, people who reflect Jesus to a world that so desperately needs it. So thank you for this time. And thank you that you go with us as we head into the rest of this day and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.